Let's take a deeper dive into some of the Pacers' new players. Looking at the guards today in the first of two parts of the How They Can Help series. We'll go deeper on Bruce Brown, Isaiah Wong, and Ben Shepard on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're talking about some of the Pacers' new players. It's part of some off-season writing I've been doing. Been really digging into their—they have six new players, but really digging into them. Uh, and today, we'll talk about the first three of those six articles I've written— and they are about the guards, the Pacers' new guards. Bruce Brown, Ben Shepard, Isaiah Wong. Film, stats, stuff on how they can help the Pacers. We will do this in a second part later in the offseason with Obi Toppin, Oscar Shibwe, and Jairus Walker. But today we'll focus on the perimeter players, the guards, the wings, whatever terminology you want to use. And I dug in a lot on this stuff. But let me be clear about what this is. This is not a scouting report. This is not an all-encompassing stuff I saw, stuff I found. This series is how they can help the team. This is mostly going to sound positive because of that. That's what I was digging in to do is figure out how they can help the Pacers as constructed. So there's like transition stats, for example, or shooting is more valued. But those are still things we're talking about. Their weaknesses are worth getting to. I mentioned them a little bit, but this is more indexing on the positives just by nature of the titles and of what I was doing with the projects. That said, let's get going. And we'll start with the guy with actual NBA experience whose tape is actually against pros, Bruce Brown, not college tape, not college numbers, NBA stuff from Bruce Brown, the champ himself. And the first thing I wanted to do with Bruce Brown is I actually asked a question. No one would look at Bruce Brown's stats last year, right? 35.8% from three. No one would look at that and think of him as a three-point shooter. In fact, no one would call him a 3 and D wing. I wouldn't call him a 3 and D wing. To be clear, for, before everything I'm about to say for the next minute and a half, I would not call Bruce Brown a 3 and D wing. And I don't think anybody would. But let's talk some numbers. Let's just dive into some numbers, right? He's not enough of a shooter to fit into that group. He definitely is enough of a defender to me. But let's just use his minimum statistical cutoff from last year, right? 35.8% on threes and a 0.6 defensive box plus minus. Only 23 forwards in the NBA reached both of those thresholds last year who actually played, right? I always do 500 minutes. That's barely over five minutes per game, right? That's nothing. But that's just to filter out guys who like play 100 minutes and go five for 11 from deep. So of the guys who actually played, 23 forwards in the league hit 35.8% of the threes and, and had... His defensive box plus minus better. That's a little less than one player per team. The Pacers were, of course, not one of the teams that had a player who actually fit that category. That alone makes him valuable to the Pacers. Being decent on both ends is enough alone to be of significant value to the Pacers. But let's go deeper within that group. Of those 23 forwards, and Bruce Brown calling him a forward is also a loose terminology to me, right? He definitely is more guard than forward, which is fine, but he played forward for the Nuggets. He played next to two guards all the time with second units. There were other point guards involved. Contavious Caldwell Pope, sometimes with the second unit, he definitely started for Denver too, but you know, especially in the postseason, I'm is what more of I'm thinking of, but um, Reggie Jackson often played next to him until he was benched for Denver. Like They had other guards who played alongside him. 
Uh, either so he's classified as a small forward on basketball reference. He'll probably play the three a lot for the Pacers. Like continuing, of that twenty three guys, of those twenty three players, he was sixth in total assists. Right, so one of the best creators of those guys. He was fourth in total steals, and fourth in blocks. Right, so of these players that are loosely 3 and D wings all the way up to actual 3 and D wings. Bruce Brown is more productive in a lot of the other areas than most of them. So among this very narrow group that can, at worst, sort of shoot and defend, Brown is more skilled than them in other ways. Like, to me, that is the selling point of what he's going to be for the Pacers. And I know that stuff's already known. From talking to him, from what quotes have been shared, just from a high-level overview of watching him in the postseason alone. For Denver, right? He could really defend. He can move the ball. He makes smart plays. And he made shots when he needed to, including a huge Game 4 win in Miami when he had 20-something points and made some threes, right? This stuff was all known. But when you really dig in, you go, wow, this is more unique than it seems to be. Like, not a lot of guys are capable at this many things. He's not necessarily like, um, his defense is really good. He's not like amazing at any offensive trait, but numerically he's good enough at a lot of stuff in a way that that's what gets him, keeps him on the floor with all these lineups is he can guard so well that he's already enhancing a lineup. But on offense, he's still an additive because he can fill so many roles and do so many things that it's not easy for the opposing team to fit him in a box or guard him in a certain way. Now his shooting was really interesting too, right? 35.8%, again, not something that anyone would consider a high mark. That's like I slightly, slightly above league average, like the smallest amount possible above NBA league average from three. It's more accurate to call it average than not. But his threes are strange, right? Last year, very solid as a catch-and-shoot three guy, right? 40, hang on, sorry. I was confusing his numbers with Ben Shepard's in a spreadsheet. He was 37.4% on catch-and-shoots, 25% on pull-ups, right? So when he catches and shoots, he's a good shooter. From the corners, <laughs> this is so weird, 51.6% from the right corner, 13.2% from the left corner, right? So it's obvious to me, and that, that is backed up by other years of data. He's better at shooting from one corner than the other. So he has spots he can shoot well from. He can defend. He can pass. He's obviously a good defender. And last year, to top it all off, this was the thing that stood out when really div diving into the film. Um, but I didn't even realize this when I, you know, looked at his basketball reference pages before he improved his finishing tremendously. And some of that was playing in the Nuggets. Amazing offensive system. No doubt about it. But last season, Bruce Brown from zero to three feet shot 80.2%. Granted every year since his rookie year, he's had pretty dang good percentages in the last three years. This includes two seasons worth of time with Brooklyn, right? He is at 73.1%. At the rim. So he's a really good finisher. I expect that number to go down with the Pacers. They have worse spacing than the Nuggets. But there are a lot of ways that he can help and be threatening. And I think next to Tyrese Halburn's passing, many of those will transfer. So to me, when really diving into the numbers part of this and looking at a lot more of the data, like specifics, I came away thinking that he's more well-rounded on offense than he's given credit for, but he's not like awesome at anything on the offensive end, if that makes any sense, right? So for him to have a, a big offensive impact for the Pacers, I think it's going to require the Pacers studying all that stuff of where he's really shined in the past, right? Where he's been at his best between the catch and shoots, specific areas, when he actually should handle the ball, when he should attack, and how they can implement that 
to their team, whether that's being a secondary creator next to Tyrese Halliburton or being a catch-and-shoot guy exclusively in whatever lineup he's in or doing a little more creation with the bench unit. There's a lot of things that he looks like he's good at, but they have to harness them perfectly because he's not, again, like blowing anybody out of the water with these numbers, but he's got a lot of solid numbers every step of the way. And this doesn't even account for his defense. And when I think about Bruce Brown on defense and when I watch Bruce Brown play defense, it's really interesting because I think of him and his on-ball defense as being something that's impressive. And yet, his off-ball defense is what... I, I clipped this. This is the only video I posted from looking at all this. On Twitter, you can see it. It's like seven or eight of these. He's really good at, at intercepting passes. <laughs> that is not something I um, I expected to dive into with his stats. Like He re read the game pretty well, and that showed up in the numbers. Of his 87 steals last year, 52 of them were from interceptions. Right, He can really read the game. When he's on the weak side, he can get those steals like... That was very impressive to me. For example, looking at a guy like Tyrese Halberton, who for some reason I'm struggling to find um, the, the on and off ball steals numbers. But either way, I don't need to dive into it right this second. Um, that surprised me. I figured more of his steals would be on the ball for Bruce Brown. But you could tell that he reads the game well on the backside, knows when to time it, knows when a pass is coming in a way that is valuable for his team. And that really shined in the film. So... I think he'll be a better team defender than he's given credit for. And that's on top of the already good um, on-ball defense he provides. Okay, there we go. For reference, Halliburton last year, 73 bad pass deals, 18 lost ball steals, right? That's for a guy who's exclusively awesome at team defense and is not very good at on-ball defense. And that's kind of a similar ratio to Brown, a little less so. Uh, but you get the idea. His team defense is solid, right? He reads the game pretty well. So I walked away from this thinking a little more highly of his overall defensive abilities, uh, but a little, not high, but I just figured on offense he can help in many ways, but it's up to the patient to figure out what the best way is because the transition game is obviously there, right? I didn't even talk about that today. But when I dove into the numbers, it's just his well-rounded offensive game kind of popped. And on defense... I think I'm going to be more impressed with this team defense than I thought. There's certainly, again, a lot of downsides, though, of, you know, every game it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of use his impact because he's, again, not necessarily elite at anything offensively besides that finishing. And on defense, can he guard big enough guys or is he exclusively shutting down some of the smaller players and using that team defense? See, I can do some negatives in this exercise as well, even though this is, again, how they can help the Indiana Pacers. Let's go to Ben Shepard next, who had one stat that blew me away, but in general was a lot of the stuff that you've heard and seen with the rookie guard so far. Before we talk Ben Shepard, though, we got to talk about FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Football, about to kick off right around the corner. Colts preseason done. Anthony Richardson throwing heaters, flying like an eagle. FanDuel is going to give you the chance to win all season long because right now you bet on a Super Bowl winner in the NFL, you can get bonus bets every time that that team wins in the regular season. You just pick any team to win the Super Bowl. Boom, that's it. You'll get bonus bets for every single victory that team has. And you can use those bonus bets on so many things. Over-unders, spreads, player props, and more. All your faves. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Check it out today. America's number one sports book. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Lockdown Bucks! Because Giannis Antetokounmpo talked with... Oh, I can't remember the reporter's name, with the reporter for the New York Times, and said he's not signing an extension until 2024. What? But he gave good reasons for it, I will say. 
he'll be extension eligible then. He's got multiple years left on his contract. That's still a big deal to say on the record. Locked on Bucks will have the latest on that. I apologize to the reporter of that story that I cannot remember your name off the top of my head. Let's continue in Pacerland talking Ben Shepard this time. Gosh, it's so hard to find college tape for Belmont. Um, ben Shepard can shoot. What? Shocking. Stop the show. Um, ben Shepard can shoot. My first note just said shooter. The first thing Rick Carlisle said about him after they picked him and he came down to the, the area we were for media after the draft was he can shoot, right? We know this. His stats are ridiculous at Belmont. He looked great in summer league, 31 of his 48 shot attempts in Las Vegas. You guessed it, threes. His final season at Belmont, 41.5% from deep on basically 200 attempts, 193 to be exact. The season before, he took 194 and made 37%. That steady growth from three is something the Pacers like. They like when guys get better. I think Chad Buchanan said a few years ago, like to him, that kind of indicates they like basketball. They like playing and getting improving. Um, and Shepard is a shooter, right? That is known. He took NBA range threes in college. He drilled them in the small sample he showed of Summer League. 39% of those 31 attempts in Summer League, he made them. He's a shooter. To me, his whole game and how he could help the Pacers one day, probably not this season, built out from that skill, right? You got to chase guys around the line or you got to close out hard or whatever. If you can make the threes, you change the way you're guarded, you change the way uh, that the, your whole team is really defended. And so his whole game builds out from the threes. He's great at it. The rest of the skills should come with it. Now, this is something I always think about with shooters. And I'll be curious what, what you guys think um, as you're listening. What, like, what do you feel like is better for the development of shooters? There's kind of two paths to think about it with some of these college guys, right? The Doug McDermott, Buddy Heald path. This just happens to be two guys I picked because they played for the Pacers. But there's other guys who've done this who didn't play for the Pacers of specialize right? Get really freaking good at one skill. And they're both of their cases, threes, make your threes at a really high level. And then the rest of your game will kind of evolve from there, right? McDermott got this handoff and finishing stuff. As his game progressed, Heald has gotten better at that ball handling, certainly, and, and just running around in a chaotic way that is productive to his team, right? Or you can go a different route, the Desmond Bain route of well-rounding your game a little more. Now, there's also guys who have tried to go one route and have completely failed at being an impactful player, right? Kyle Guy is one example that I could think of. Tried to be well-rounded, like Desmond Baines. Pat didn't really work. Dylan Windler, an indie, uh, indie guy, same kind of deal. Didn't really work out. Kyle Singler went the shooter exclusively route, and uh, I guess it, it kind of worked. Not really, though. Um, didn't really work out, right? Both paths can have success and failure. But I've always thought about that. Should guys specialize, or should they try to round out their game? I think rounding out your game tends to be a way to fit into more lineups, but specializing can be more impactful at your absolute best, especially if you can defend. It's hard to say what's better. And it's not a knock on either path, but I'll be curious what the Pacers decide to kind of think about and what Ben Shepard decides to think about in that way. Does he want to just become so good at threes that the rest of his game easily develops from there, or does he want to really work on his other skills and have the three be a weapon along the way? I don't know. Either way, the way that, that stood out to me the most looking at the film and the numbers back this up is Ben Shepard running around is a scary dude to guard, right? And this is one of those valuable skills in the NBA and something teams are looking for. And while they're drafting these shooters really high who move around a lot, movement shooters, right? Jet Howard going 11 to the Orlando Magic. Uh, ben Shepard off of screens in college, 48.7% on threes. Whew, that's nuts. That's crazy. Uh, he can fly around those screens in the perimeter, catch, score, right? That is extremely impressive. Um, 
for any player and a skill that teams want because then guys are chasing around on defense. The defense is moving around, and if they slack off for a second or if they don't switch, boom, you're open. I don't know if that will necessarily translate to at that level. That is a shorter three-point line, but he did take a lot of NBA range threes. But that's super impressive. That is an insanely good percentage of, of shots to be hitting off of screens. Again, I tweeted the clips of those out. That is the skill I showed for him. Uh, it, it's nuts. Like He just pops around, takes a dribble, boom, in the first clip, drills a three. Um, his catch-and-shoot numbers are actually worse. His spot-up number in college, 38.7%. Usually those are flips. Guys are better when they just catch and shoot instead of when they're running around. So which is it? It's probably more in the middle, right? His actual shooting ability is somewhere between those numbers. Either way, it looks like it's going to be ridiculously good to me, right? The way he's built it out, the way he's improved in that way, the way he's improved in many areas, I think that is where his game will start helping the Pacers is obviously shooting the ball from three. But where he can help more as he progresses in the league is how his game builds out from there. And while I'll be curious how he develops, if it's just specialty shooting or more well-rounded, because what I didn't know about Ben Shepard is that he was in the 84th percentile of all NCAA players as a pick-and-roll ball handler last year. That's really good. That is something I did not know. Now that he wasn't, like, diamond up his teammates. In fact, his passing, if this was a full scouting report, I would consider a weakness, although he did up his assists to nearly three a game his final season, but limited passer. That was mostly him scoring for himself, but .93 points per possession, pick-and-roll ball handling from a really good shooter, is great. That's good to know if you're the Pacers that if he's coming around those screens as a movement guy and he catches and nothing's there, but he puts it on the floor and goes the screen's flipped and he goes around the other way, a productive play might be coming. Like he can finish those or get to a spot that he likes or get to the rim in a way that is productive. And I didn't know that about him as well. He didn't do that a ton in summer league. Um, so that wasn't as obvious, but you could see his handle grow. Like I found one Belmont game from his junior year and it was obvious how much looser his handle was than as a senior, right? That was a big part of how he grew. So he reads the game okay on defense. You can see him really read the game on offense, which is why I'm surprised he doesn't read the game a little bit better on the defensive end. Like, I think his team defense will come along faster than his on-ball defense. He's pretty slow-footed, like anyone who watched him in summer league. His defense was eh, not great. Um, so he gets caught out of position sometimes. His angle is not great. He's got to be better on the end of the floor, certainly. Nothing I saw on the defensive end made it into the how he can help the Pacers category. And at the rim, this is the other part of this. If he's going to be this awesome pick-and-roll ball he's got to be a little better at the rim. Right, diving into his shooting numbers last year, uh, just to juxtapose this with Bruce Brown at 80% at the rim, uh, Ben Shepard last year was 62.1% from inside four feet and 41.8% on all their attempts in the paint. That, that's got to be better if he's going to be a really effective pick-and-roll play finisher. But it's he still had a good points per possession in those settings from you know, solid enough decision making, good enough on pull ups, good enough shooting threes as a pick and roll ball handler, right? It's very clear to me that his game's going to grow out from the shooting. And this is 131 possessions as a pick and roll ball handler. So that's like four per game, right? That's impressive stuff. So to me, looking at Shepard, I think it's the stuff everybody knows already. He can really shoot it. How he's going to help the Pacers is how he grows out from there. Does he become a really good specialty shooter? And is he just a knockdown 40% guy who's exclusively just a scary threat behind the arc for other teams? Or does he kind of evolve as a ball handler and a finisher in the lane and become a guy who can help with the threat of his shooting but can also make plays with the ball and be dangerous in that way? I don't know, but the numbers suggest that both paths are viable to him, which is why I wanted to talk about both paths being a way that some pass shooters have developed. We'll see. I think the key parts of his actual development are going to be defensively 
because right now he's a one-way player to me. But in terms of how he can help the Pacers, that's what stood out is that versatility of building his game out from the shooting. Both paths seem like possible options that make sense for him. And I'll be curious how that actually plugs and plays with the Pacers as his career progresses. Again, the clips of him shooting off of screens and all these stats can be found on Pacers SI. One more, a two-way guy. Isaiah Wong dug his film, dug into his film this week uh, as a two-way guy. I'll do the same for Oscar Shibway. They might not play much with the Pacers. They might not have the longest career with the Pacers, or they might. You never know. Edmund Sumner had a multi-year career after his start on a two-way. Let's dive into Isaiah Wong's numbers and stats and see how he can help the Indiana Pacers. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen, Lockdown Blazers or Lockdown Heat. You're going to roll your eyes and say, oh, Dame, I've heard about that all summer. Yeah, you have. But one, Dame just went on the record confirming his trade request for the first time, which isn't that big of a deal, but it's still something that happened. And two, Locked On Blazers host Mike Richmond and the Locked On Heat guys did a really cool crossover pod that was a mock negotiation of a trade between the Blazers and Heat involving Damian Lillard that I think will be enjoyable, even if you've already heard every step of this saga since Damian Lillard's trade request in late June, early July. Let's not talk about that and instead talk about the Pacers and specifically their final pick of the draft, Isaiah Wong. How can he help the Pacers this season? Really interesting player, right? He definitely played point guard last year for Miami, which was not the case during his first couple of years with the Hurricane. Also, man, is that hard for me, like when typing and talking, saying Hurricane. It's singular. Um, he played point guard for them, but didn't pass much. But I don't think that I, I have been bad about this, too. I think the narrative about his passing is a little off, although it is not totally wrong at the same time. I consider him more so a scorer than a passer. Definitely. I think everybody should. Miami wasn't really a passing team. This was really interesting to me. They were 80th in the nation in assists per game this past season, and Wong, at 3.2 assists per game, led the team in assists. Right? They were not the best passing team ever. They didn't have like a bad offense. They made the Final Four, for Pete's sake, but... They definitely had more, you know, setup stuff with ISOs and pick and rolls and things like that in ways that other teams didn't. So he was more so a scorer than a passer. Well, he used to start next to Charlie Moore, if you remember him, right? He played for like four schools, Kansas, uh, DePaul, Miami. I can't remember the other one. He was the point guard for Miami the year before, and Wong was more the two guard, right? He is more score 100% than passer. I don't have to continue on that. Sorry. Anyway, but it was clear watching him how much better he is both as a passer and a scorer in space versus in traffic, right? When I watched Andrew Nemhard two years ago, not the opposite, like no one's better with less space, but like he was really comfortable in traffic, right? I talked about that a lot during his summer league play. He made all these tight angle passes and was, you know, he turned it over a decent amount as a rookie, but you know, he made all these tight angle passes and made plays in the paint. And I was like, man, if he can see the floor this well amongst the trees, like when he spaces it out, he's going to be a pretty good creator. That turned out to be... A decently correct take, although not perfect. You know, Wong is not that right when he's in the, when he has space to see what's going on and assess where his teammates are. Like he can make the right decision of scoring or passing or doing whatever he wants to do to be effective. And that showed up in transition, right? This is where I think he'll help the Pacers the most if he needs to. He's awesome in the open floor. Seventy point six effective field goal percentage in transition. That's crazy for a Pacers team that's prided themselves on that and talked about how good Obi Toppin and Bruce Brown will be in transition, I didn't realize how good Isaiah Wong can be in transition. When he sees space, he takes it with the ball or without, and that's impressive. He finds his spots and he attacks, and that's impressive. Um, 
But it's more so than that. Like when he's isolating, he can wiggle free for a shot. When he's off the ball, he takes space until he gets the ball, and then he tries to look for his attacker, tries to look for the teammate that should be open. The way he seizes space, it's almost like chess. <laughs> I'm not good at chess, but I've watched enough chess stuff and read enough to know that you know seizing space and controlling space is super important. On the board, it's similar on the hardwood for Wong. He does a good job of taking space, making a defense react to him, or getting to a spot where he's more comfortable, and then making a play from there. You can see that. And I think that will be something he's good at with the Pacers, and something that, quite frankly, should translate to the NBA right away is just taking space. That's not like an insanely niche skill or anything. He'll just take it. Some guys assess and back up and you know dribble backwards. Like He'll take the space. And I think that's going to be impressive. But that allowed him to get better attacking the rim. Right. This is something that stood out, and I, I have the stats in my story. His first few years at Miami, he took 231 shots either in the paint or at the rim. His final two seasons at Miami, he took 365. And yeah, he played a lot more the last two seasons, but I broke it down per minute. And guess what? It was more per minute as well. So... He got better at seizing that space and attacking the basket in a way that, you know, you think of him more as a shooter or just a scorer type. Like, he can slash to the rim like that. And if he can turn that into passing, I think that's going to be an important part of his growth and how he can impact and help the Pacers. But let's talk about that passing, right? You look at the numbers. One assist per game as a freshman, 2.4 as a sophomore, 2.0 as a junior, and then 3.2 as a senior. 3.2 leading Miami which I think is important, right? He technically was the point guard on a team that didn't pass that much. But you can see, and some of this is playing next to another point guard, Charlie Moore, but you can see from junior to senior year how much better he got. Like like a lot of his assists as a junior were just like, here's the teammate right next to me, here's the ball, and then that guy would make a one dribble shot or that guy would make the shot immediately. And like, that's an assist, but it's just like he had tossed it to someone else. Like a lot of guys get two assists per game that way. Whereas as a senior... He had, like, actually impactful, like, I drove and drew a defender and passed the ball to my teammate who's now open in space. Or I can see over the backside that a lob is open. Or I can see the post-ups there. Just all sorts of, like, like one-step-ahead passes that got his teammates buckets. And I clipped a lot of those. You can find those on my Twitter feed. That is something that stood out to me is this is where my, my notion of Isaiah Wong is wrong a little bit. And this in Summer League, too. Like his, uh, Let me find the exact numbers. But uh, even in Summer League, he took 50-something shots and had 13 assists, right? I want to find the exact number, so I'm not totally wrong. Like, he's definitely more scorer than passer still. But I think he is a little better at passing than he's given credit for, right? I think he'll be okay if that's what he's asked to do in the G League. And if there's, like, an emergency with the Pacers and he has to play point guard for a few possessions, I think that will be okay. He also, he told us this during his pre-draft workout. I can't remember if it was at Summer League practice or pre-draft workout, but he like really worked on his 3 and D stuff later in college and in pre-draft, and you can see that in his skills as well, getting better. 38.4% from three as a senior. That's his best percentage in college, and it was untied for the most attempts he's taken right from year to year. He took 159 as a junior and shot 30%. He took 159 as a senior and made 38.4% in Summer League. Very small sample, but still in Summer League. He made 40% of his threes, right? If he can be a shooter, then the passing's less important because he's 6'3", so he probably can't play two guard, but like that does that is tall enough to open up a few things that are possible for him. Seeing that uh, was important to me. His offensive type and style reminds me a little bit of Aaron Holiday. Uh, for those of you who watched him in his early time with the Pacers, just in terms of his decision-making and how he thinks about scoring first versus passing. Not that Aaron Holiday was like the worst passer ever, 
Um, but they, those two guys definitely look to score first more so than pass. And I think Wong will need to look to develop his passing a little more so than Aaron Holiday ever did with the Pacers. Aaron Holiday, I view as like a wing now, <laughs> even at his height, just given who he guards and how he plays. If Wong wants to be a guard, he'll have to develop the passing a little more. But I kind of think their offensive types are similar. And Aaron Holiday's way of helping the Pacers was scoring, making three sometimes, driving to the basket, making plays, and he could defend a little bit too. Wong's definitely going to have to be better as a defender. Aaron Holiday, far ahead of him as a defensive player. Um, so I think Wong can have a Sumner-like two-way experience. It's possible. I'm not saying I think he will. I think it's possible that he can, where he clearly gets better in a year or two on his two-way and becomes a guy the Pacers think about having on their team. But it's going to take some growth in, not several, that sounds like a stretch, but in a lot of ways. Because the scoring's there, the passing got better, a lot of other stuff, right? Like he takes space off the ball, but isn't like a lethal spot-up guy. His defense is... is average at best and that's only on the ball off the ball he's got to pay more attention so he's got a lot of stuff he'll have to grow if he's really going to help the Pacers at some point and I don't think the 55th pick on a two-way contract should be expected to do much of anything as a rookie last year Trevlin Queen and Kendall Brown the Pacers two-way guys combined for 13 games right and Queen was healthy the whole time he was on his two-way deal until he was cut late in the season if you add in Gabe York's three games okay that's 16 games for the Pacers two-way guys all season now there's three of them right so I don't expect Wong to contribute much this year at all but he can if he can prove in the G League that he's getting better as a passer and shoots well and that you know, he's got an offensive game and there's other stuff he can grow I think that's how he can help the Pacers is just being that offensive engine who sees his space can make plays can finish plays and is just good enough as a passer that he gets respected in that way I think it'll be important for him to grow fast in either direction, as a floor general or a score, right? That way he's either very clearly on the ball or very clearly off the ball, both at the Pacers and the Maddens, because it's a disservice to, to everybody on the G League team if he's kind of a crappy setup man point guard, right? That doesn't help them get better. It doesn't make the team mesh. So I think it's going to be important that he is. they put him on one path and he commits to that path, and that's where he grows early. So that is the numbers and stats, and if you check out the articles or my Twitter feed, the video that I wanted to share about the Pacers' new guards. We'll do this again with the new forward slash bigs in another episode. That will be, again, Obi Toppin, Oscar Shibway, and Jarris Walker. I tweeted the Jarris Walker video during the draft scouting part. So that's more so done than the other two guys, but that'll be really fun. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed learning more about these players and how they can help the Pacers. If anyone's interested, I could do a how they'll hurt the Pacers or how they'll need to grow to not hurt the Pacers as much <laughs> series as well, because I think that is... It obviously just as important as the Pacers grow forward and try to win. Next week, uh, the last week of August, this time, I said it already, I've had two player interviews fall through this month. It's driving me crazy. I'm pretty sure one of them is going to happen next week. I hope to have it done before August ends. Uh, I'll do another book club next week, again, hopefully before August ends. I want to talk about some lineups I'm excited to see next week with a guest and, of course, our weekly look at international Pacers play. We'll do that probably either really early in the week or after group stage play for Tyrese Halliburton and Daniel Tice in the World Cup. Plus other news. Got to catch up with Jordan Wara earlier today. Um, Clay Thompson talks about uh, his crazy game against the Pacers recently. Um, the Kings GM talked about Chris Duarte. Like there's a lot to catch up on and talk about and what it means for the Pacers going forward. It's all coming on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show and have a wonderful weekend. We will see you soon. <laughs>